Good morning to you. Good to see you here as we continue our study on the book of James. It seems as if James has uh, organized his thoughts by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to answer this important question, how then shall we live? That was a question that was very important to the early Christians going through difficult times. How then do we live with this kind of uh, difficulty, this prayer, uh, this time of uh, adversity in their life? And uh, he's writing for Christians who are living in distressed times, not unlike our own. And when you ask that question, how shall we then live? He is giving to us today some verses that answer that question. How do we live? How shall we live? And it's going, the answer is going to be by God's word. God's word for today. Let's read God's word together. Follow along as I read from James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. If you have your Bible, uh, please open it and follow along. Um, I want to say this before we actually read this text. What an incredible um, honor it is to preach God's word. Somehow, some way, in God's mysterious plan, he ordained that he would use me to preach and teach. I've been doing this for almost 50 years. See, I started so young. That's it. But no, I, I do what I do because it's part of, somehow part of a plan. And I don't feel important. I don't feel adequate. I don't feel... Uh, you know, proud or any way. I just feel absolutely humbled by the thought that the God of the universe, my Redeemer, would ask us to speak on his behalf. So everything we're saying today, uh, really look to the word and let God's word speak to us. Uh, as we'll hear we are to be hearers of the word, but doers. And so I want you to think about that. What you hear today may be hopefully encouraging, convicting, uh, insightful, but more importantly is, what do we do then? How then do we live? So let's follow along James's uh, wonderful argument about the word of God. How should we then live? By the word of God. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, that last phrase is so important, he will be blessed in his doing. When we act, when we obey, trust God, 
for what he's called us to do, that is where we find blessing in our life. Blessing through obedience to God's word. Um, Mark Twain had a fascinating way of making truth humorous. He said, I have no problem with the parts of the Bible I don't understand. The parts that I give me the most trouble are those I understand all too well. Man, that is so true. I don't have a problem believing Christ loves his church. But I am trying to find out how to love my wife as Christ does his church. I don't have a problem understanding that God works all things together for good. We've talked about that. But I have trouble counting on all joy in the midst of my adversity. I don't have a problem believing the Bible is the inspired word of God. But I'm troubled when it says I am to love my enemies. The problem, therefore, is not what the Bible says. But the problem is our stubborn insistence on trusting our own sense of what is good and evil rather than what God has said is good and evil. Our greatest temptation may be to think that we could live without God. We could live without his word. And that's why we need to have God's word in our life. You have a wonderful name for church. Reverence what? Bible church. That's because it it is a word from God for today. The word of God is what makes this church a church. And the word of God is what brought us together. Now, the Bible gives us four analogies, at least, for the word of God. The first is that God's word is like a lamp in our darkness. A lamp in our darkness. That is exactly what David said the word of God was to him. He prayed to the Lord, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. If ever we needed a light to guide us through spiritual darkness, it would be today. God's word is also described as a living two-edged sword that's able to pierce to the innermost parts of our lives. It says in Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. The word of God is also described as the sword of the spirit. God's word is able to cut through all of our excuses. It's able to cut through all our hidden sins so they're laid bare and open to a holy God. 
The scriptures are also able to comfort us in our discomfort and to make us uncomfortable in our comfort zone. God's word is also described by James as a seed. Jesus talked about that, the seed that's planted in the ground. God's word is a seed that he plants in us to produce the fruit of righteousness. James 1, 18 and 21, of his own, that is of God's own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Then he says, receive with meekness, with humility, the implanted word which is able to save your souls. God's word is like a seed. By God's sovereign grace, he planted the word of truth in us and in sinners to bring forth new life. He has ordained our salvation through the planting of the word of God and used by the Holy Spirit. And then there is another analogy to the scriptures, and James will pick this one up in our text this morning. God's word is like a mirror. A mirror to see our face and Christ's face. And we'll talk more about that in just a moment. James begins by talking about what should our response be to the word of God? What's our accountability to it? I believe that James is going to speak to us by giving to us two exhortations, two calls, if you would, about the word of God. In James 1.22, he says, Be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. He is exhorting us, first of all, to be doers of God's word. Those who hear God's word are to receive it with humility, brokenness. And then we are called, once we've heard it and received it, to act upon the truth by faith. Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him. And he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, said Jesus, but the the Father who sent me. By this, Jesus meant that those who keep his commandments, those who obey his word, are those who love him. To keep means to guard to diligently watch over. Another word would be to treasure God's word. To act on what God has said to us. To keep doesn't mean that we perfectly obey, but it does mean 
having an earnest desire to hear God's word and then to apply it to become the man or woman that God wants us to be. He calls us to obedience. He's calling us to obedience not to create guilt or fear. But he appeals to us on the basis of what? Love. If you love Christ, you will love his word. And if you love his word, the father says, I'll love you just like I love my son. Can you understand that? I can't. I mean, I hear it. I don't know how God could love me like he loves his son. But he does. And evidence of this love for Christ is our love for God's word. Those who are in love with Christ have come to learn that Christ's commandments are for our good. They're not arbitrary. They're there for a reason. The consequences of obedience to God's word are far less painful than those of disobedience. I'd like to repeat that. I had to learn this the hard way growing up. The consequences of obedience to God's word are far less painful than the pain of disobedience. Those who love Christ and his word are loved by the Father just as he loves his Son. So be doers of the word. Be doers of the word. He has said, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. What an amazing thing to hear this morning, that we are loved by God. It's not enough to just be a hearer, but here we're being called to be doers of the word. But there are many who only hear God's word and do not act upon it. And James speaks to them. The man who selectively reads the Bible to find out what he wants to hear rather than what he needs to hear, James said he's deceiving himself. Sadly, there are many hearers of God's word who choose to To be like a student who audits a class and never graduates from school. He audits. And those who audit the scriptures are many times sitting in churches. Thinking they're not accountable for what they hear from the word of God. Because you see, I'm not accountable because I'm auditing the Christian life. And I'm auditing this class. James is speaking to us. Speaking to those who are auditors. We might also call the one who is a hearer only of God's word. 
as um, sermon tasters, pew packers, nominal Christians, religious consumers, or ear ticklers. We might also use a term to describe these people as pseudo-Christians. They go to church, but they're not born again. They hear the word, but never act upon it. They have inoculated themselves against the truth by only entertaining enough scripture to make themselves feel good. Feel good about themselves. We're good people. I do good. I'm doing better than the other people. Admittedly, these people's appearance is godly. But in reality, the Bible says they've denied the power of God. Denied the power of the word. And James and Paul were on the same truth. Paul warns in Romans 2.13. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God. But who is? But the doers of the law will be justified. Now James gives us two examples of the word. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. And he looks at himself and goes away at once and forgets what it was like or he was like. The first example of the word of God that he gives us is the word is like a mirror. The mirror of God's word. You see, God's word is like a mirror that reflects the truth about God. It also reflects the truth about ourselves that you can't find any other place. The comparison of the Bible to a, to a mirror was used by John Bunyan in his classic uh, uh, allegorical story entitled Pilgrim's Progress. If you read that, you may remember when Pilgrim was on his way to the celestial city, he met some shepherds. And the shepherds gave to him a gift. You know what the gift was? A mirror. And then Pilgrim describes what he could see in this mirror. This magic mirror. This incredibly um, wonderful mirror that was given as a gift. He describes it this way about what he could see. He said, it would reflect a man one way on his own features exactly, but turn the mirror another way and it would show the very face of the Prince of Pilgrims himself. Who's the Prince of Pilgrims? Christ. Yea, I have talked with those who can tell. And they've said that they have seen the very crown of thorns upon his head by looking into this glass. 
They've seen also the holes in his hands, in his feet, in his side. Yea, such an excellence is there in this glass that it will show him that is Christ to one if he has a mind to see. Like pilgrim, we have been blessed with the priceless gift of God's word. I don't need to tell you that as I travel to other countries, many of the people that I've gone to do not have Bibles. If they do, it's a small, kind of like a paperback thing that's tattered. And uh, I was teaching a class one time, and I said to the class, here's what requirements are. One is, I want you to take notes. I want to look at your notes. I also want to see your marking in your Bible. I want you to kind of show your notes in there. We were talking about the scriptures. So put your notes in the Bible and, uh, you know, so that I can see that you've interacted with the scriptures. Pastor Don, yes? I don't have a Bible. I go, no, wait a minute. You don't have a Bible? This is called Bible school. <laughs> and you don't have a Bible? He goes, no, I don't. Another one raised his hand and said, I have this one, but it only has part of it. The other part of it fell out. Oh, I found out that I'm teaching a class in a Bible school and they don't have the mirror. I would imagine that if we went to our homes today, you would find more mirrors, more Bibles than most people in any other part of the world. But do we treat it as a gift, as a priceless treasure? Um, If we intently look into this mirror, we will see who we are, what we're really like. But we will also see the glory of the face of Christ. Just like Pilgrim said. I hope you read your Bible, old and new, to see Christ. It's all about him. And many times we read, we hear so much about the scriptures without Christ. God's word is like a mirror. It reflects who we are. Sometimes what we see is not what we want to hear or see. Some read the Bible like the wicked witch of the West in Snow White. She continually looked into her mirror on the wall. And routinely, probably daily, she asked the mirror to affirm her beauty. Mirror, mirror on the wall, who is the most beautiful of them all? And she tried to convince herself That she was beautiful. But in fact, in reality, her darkened heart had turned her ugly inside and out. And one day, as you may remember, when she asked the mirror, who was the fairest of them all, the face in the mirror replied, 
Snow White is the fairest of them all. It only confirmed her greatest fear. She wasn't everything that she had hoped she could be. Likewise, there are those who hear God's word and they do not obey it. And therefore, they are deceived, self-deceived. Thinking that they can find favor with God because of their fake smile and the religious rhetoric, or as I would call it, their use of Christianese. They ask, mere, mere of the law, who is the most religious of them all? And here James gives an answer. If anyone thinks they are good because they're religious by trying to keep some arbitrary set of observable demands of the law while conveniently neglecting the impossible, unobservable attitudes of the heart, they are deceiving themselves. Matter of fact, when you read the word of God, do you ever... Does it ever pierce right to your heart, right into your mind when you're going, oh my gosh, listen to my thoughts. Listen, where did I get that ugly thought? How could I have ever thought that? That's when you realize. That's when we realize the measure of God's love for us. That I could be such a wretch and he would still love me. Earlier in James' epistle, he gave us a painful look at ourselves. He did this so we could see our trials through heaven's eyes. He told us that what is hidden from our eyes is that God is already working around us, working in our adversity to test our faith and to reveal his faithfulness to each of us. Why does God do this? said, God does this to increase our capacity to resist temptation, as well as persevere under the pressure of trials. You see, in other words, what we're going through is producing endurance, strength, spiritual strength. James also exposes our tendency to doubt God's holy character when we go through tough times. And if we lingered long enough before the mirror, we would clearly see what James is saying. That God is infinitely good. And he's always been good to us. And that his goodness is always directed to his people. Always. He has no, he's not two-faced God. He's a single-faced God. James showed us that even though you may consider yourself to be poor, you will be exalted someday in the celestial city. He reminds us that God has not abandoned us in our adversities, in our problems, in our chaos, but that he's faithfully walking right beside us. He will never leave you, never abandon us. That's what we have to see. And you can probably only see that by looking in God's word because I don't see him with my eyes. But through the eyes of scripture, he's here. He's here. 
He loves me in spite of who I am, of what I'm like, what I think. James warned us to be quick to listen to God's word, but slow to anger, slow to speak back to God, slow to reject what he has to say. In other words, the word is like a mirror. And this mirror has two purposes. That is, one, to convict us of our sin, and the second is to console us. That's what the law and the gospel are intended to do. The law reveals God's holy demands as well as our deepest need for Christ. It makes it very clear, the scriptures do, that we could never perfectly keep those demands to find acceptance with God. So if you are here here today, hear what the scriptures are saying. Your goodness is not good enough. Your religiosity won't cut it. And then we hear the gospel. And the gospel is God's promise that we can find acceptance with him because of Christ. How wonderful is that? We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in who? In Christ alone. It is by the word alone that we discover how to be forgiven and find strength to carry on. All of this was made possible because Christ perfectly kept the law for us. We who are justified by faith in Christ have been declared once and forever righteous in his sight. Once and forever I haven't heard any amens this morning. Uh, I'm not looking for anything, but... Uh, I mean, when you come across stuff like this, you've got to go, really? Even though I'm a forgiven sinner, there's therefore never going to be any condemnation? That's true. All of this was made possible because of Christ. If we dare look long enough in our search of the scriptures, you will be able to see the glorious face of Christ. And when you see his face, it will transform you. That's what Paul said. All we, and we all, excuse me, with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image, that is the image of Christ, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So the Word of God is like a mirror. It shows our face, our need for Christ, and then if you stay long enough to look, and you have a mind to see, you will see the face of Christ. His love for us. Some people read the scriptures and they see God with a frown. I don't. I read the scriptures 
And I see the smile of God. He's pleased. Pleased with his son. Pleased with Calvary. Pleased with an empty tomb. Pleased with the Holy Spirit in us. Pleased with the progress of the gospel. And he's pleased because we're coming home. Someday. Now the second example is the word is like a perfect law. That liberates us. It isn't a quick casual look that James is talking about. A casual look into the law that brings us liberty. Rather he is saying we discover what freedom means. When we stoop down in humility. The word to look means you step down. You look into the scriptures. You bow. You are reverent before the scriptures. Christ's law perfectly recounts and reveals exactly what God wanted to say to us. That's why it's called perfect. It's the perfect law. The Bible is called the perfect law because it is the complete, perfect, and errant word of God that is able to tell us how we can no longer be under condemnation by placing our faith in Christ alone. Now, the gospel of grace is mentioned throughout the Bible, but here in Romans 8, 1 and 2, here's what it says. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ, who do not walk according to the dictates, the pattern of the flesh, but walks according to, under the steps of the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free. If you just stop there, think of that. Christ has made me free. Free from what? The law, the dictates of my sin and death. We're free. But we're still fighting. Still struggling. That's the freedom Jesus promised in John 8. If you abide in my words, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offsprings of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. Oh, really? How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, Everyone who practices sin, who continues in their sin, is a slave to sin. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Here's the reality of our human predicament. Once we were slaves to sin, yet by God's sovereign grace, he planted the word of truth in us, so we could be delivered from slavery to ourself, to our flesh, to our desires. So we could become slaves of righteousness. Therefore, those who delight in God's law will walk in liberty, in freedom. There you have, in essence, the perfect law Explained, And then there's two reactions to the word of God. When you look into the truth. 
For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he's like. James is a man who certainly must have seen mirrors. It wasn't common, but he knew what they were. These mirrors were usually polished silver so they could reflect themselves in this silver. And the one who hears the word of God is like a man who looks, notice it says a man, it's so ladies don't feel that anybody's picking on you for looking in the mirror too much here. For the men too do this. He's like the man who looks into the mirror, he sees himself, and then he walks away and forgets what he's like. Yeah, pretty good. Then he walks his own way. Never changed, never did anything. The mirror represents the full counsel of God's word. And it's not just the mosaic law. This self-righteous take a casual glance into the mirror. Hey, looking good, okay. And then they think they are the fairest of them all. And they go on their way. They immediately forget the kind of fallen people the word has shown them to be. They may see their need for Christ. But they walk away and they forget to act upon this need. Is it even possible for someone to be here this morning who's repeatedly heard the gospel, the need for Christ? You've seen, you heard, and you walked out. Nothing happened. How sad. These people who hear, see, but don't act, are not doers. They're like the man who looks in the mirror and he noticed spinach between his front teeth. He looks at that and he walks away and then he goes for a job interview and wonders why everybody looked at him so strangely. But that's many times the way we react. This man is like the man who takes a quick look at a Bible verse but never ponders what it means or what it's calling him to do. Instead, he walks away with a pious smile on his face, unchanged by the truth. He looked in the mirror, but he left as he came. A slave to sin and death. And then there's the one who hears the word. And then he acts upon it. This man stoops down to look into the mirror and he sees his desperate need. And then he runs, not away, but he runs to Christ. If we spent as much time daily in God's word as we do primping and preparing in a mirror, I think we would look at our life much differently. Rather than bemoaning our circumstances, we might even find the capacity to rejoice in them. I can say this, that any burden Christ may give us, any burden he may give you, for obeying his word, will be much lighter than any burden you might have for disobeying him.
There are finally these two results. Very quickly. Verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseverance, perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in doing, in obedient observation, in obedient action. The one who hears God's word but does not act upon it, he's deceiving himself. You know what the word here, deceive, means? He rationalizes it away. <laughs> it can't mean me. I'm too good for that stuff. Besides, I know I'm American. This is a person who hears, reads, And walks away thinking that his own righteousness will get him through. Let me say this. It will be very, there are going to be a lot of surprises in heaven. And it'll be a happy day. And for some, a sad day. We are going to be surprised to see who's there and who's not there. The one who heard and didn't do, we won't be there. The one who heard and acted upon the truth, he's the one who will be there. I would not want to hear these words when I entered in the celestial city. The words of Christ spoken in Matthew 7, 21 and 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who what? Does the will of my Father in heaven. Not the one who heard, but the one who does. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have I not, we not prophesied in your name? Cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name. And then what is Jesus going to say? And then I will declare to them. I never knew you. That doesn't mean intellectually, because he knows everything. But what he's saying, we never had this relationship. Depart from me. You who practice lawlessness. In essence, you who do not practice what you hear. And then there will be the one who hears and acts. And that's what... James says, these will be the ones who are blessed. If Christ has set us free, then let's live free. Paul says in Galatians 5, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And what is he talking about, the yoke of slavery? To the old habits, the old nature, the works of the flesh. Peter joins in the chorus. Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover up for evil. But living as servants of God. There is a desperate need today for God's word. We need to hear James' exhortations and ask these kinds of questions of ourselves. Are we 
as diligent to look into God's word as we are to stand looking into a mirror. Primping ourselves. And when we look into God's word, do we see it only as a set of arbitrary, keepable laws by which we can climb our way into heaven? Or do we see God's law as a way of recognizing our sin and imperfections as well as our need for God's grace? Are we like the man James described who hears and studies the word of God but quickly forgets what it says and does not act on his commands? Do we read the Bible and see the face of Christ in it from Genesis to Revelation? Because I guarantee you, friends, if you see the, and read the scriptures correctly, you'll see him in Genesis 1.1. You'll see it all the way to the very last verse of Revelation. And when we see our sin, the scarred faces that we were born with, do we gaze again and see the beauty of Christ's face? As we gaze at him, we will be transformed, changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you have seen Christ, you will be changed. You cannot remain the same. Those who have a mind to see Christ in the scriptures, you will meet him. The crucified, resurrected, and glorious Savior. We need a word from God today. He's already spoken so clearly to us in his word. What more do we need to hear from God that he hasn't already said? Think about it. Will we take the time to hear and have the faith to believe and act on what God has said? This morning it's was heavy on my heart this week as I was going through this. This is not intended to produce guilt. It's intended to produce love. Love for God's word. Love for God, the God of the Bible. It's always possible that God is speaking to people here this morning. And when we're through, you'll walk out that door. Nothing has happened. Nothing has changed. And then there are some who will be here and they're going to go, you know what? I needed to hear that because I haven't been in God's word lately. If I go to the scriptures, it's out of guilt, out of duty. I just want to catch a little glimpse in the mirror and then, okay, all right, now I'm on my way. Or are we actually gazing intently at the word of God, looking for God to speak to us so we can act? We can be transformed. Let's pray. Uh, Father, your word is really like a a sharp two-edged sword. It is piercing. When I read your word, when I look into that mirror, I look at a man who is as depraved as you can imagine. And yet, if I turn the mirror, I'm able to see the man that Christ died for with all his imperfections. I'm also able to see the, your love 
your smile upon me. For those who are hearing this morning, Lord, I pray that they will hear that you have spoken clearly in your word. That they will hear that those who love you will love your word. And those who love your word and love your son will be forever loved by you, Father, even as you love your beloved son. May we be driven into your word out of love for Christ. Encourage your people today, Father. We need hope. We need encouragement. May your word be like a lamp that gives us a light and and gives us the path that we're to walk on. We need to walk ahead, Lord, and we need that light of your word to guide us ahead. May you today affirm by means of the work of your spirit your love that we are your children. May your word be active and alive today in each of us. If there be someone who has never really acted upon the word to receive Christ as their savior, that even now you would give them the faith. You would plant that seed of the word in their hearts that it might bring forth the fruit of righteousness. May you do your work now by means of your word and your spirit for your glory. Thank you for the privilege, Father, of having this time with your people. Pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory, both now and forevermore. Amen.